25 years ago, on March 15, 1998, the Miami Fusion kicked off their opening game in MLS's third season, becoming one of the two expansion teams in this ever-growing professional league. While the Chicago Fire would win the U.S. Open and MLS Cup double in that 1998 season, getting all the attention in the process, the Fusion would quietly grind, grow, and build over the next few years until finally putting forth a dominant Supporter Shield winning season in 2001. This team, led by Ray Hudson, played fast, loose, and exciting soccer. Alex Pineda-Chicon, Pablo Mastroeni, and Nick Romando were just some of the memorable names on this roster. This progressive playing squad was bested only by a young Landon Donovan and his San Jose Earthquakes in the Major League Soccer playoffs that year. Despite putting together one of the best seasons in MLS history at that point and arguably since, MLS made the decision to fold both the Fusion and their Florida neighbors, MLS original franchise, Tampa Bay Mutiny. While MLS soccer has returned to Miami in the form of David Beckham's Inter-Miami, much has been discussed of what could have been had the Miami Fusion been allowed to stay and build. Indeed, what would a Miami Fusion look like in 2023? This podcast tells the story of the Miami Fusion through the voices of those who actually lived it. 25 interviews across 25 episodes charting the good, the bad, and the unbelievable. My name is Joe Shaw, and this is 25 for 25, the story of the Miami Fusion from those who lived it a detox production. Join us all season long as we explore this unique slice of American sports history. This is a great sports event. This is the best ticket money can buy in South Florida. And it rocks, it absolutely rocks. What do you do when you show up for your first ever professional coaching interview and the man that you're interviewing for sits down and turns on the European championships and just watches soccer with you? How are you supposed to react? What are you supposed to do? And then when you call one of the players you're watching, an English player, ugh, he's a pub player. Did you just shoot yourself in the foot with your job interview with your potential new English boss? These are all the thoughts that are going through John Trask's head as he's interviewing as a successful college coach for his first ever professional managerial job with the Miami Fusion. He's with Ray Hudson. He's not sure what's going to happen. And Ray Hudson looks at him and asks you a series of questions. But number one, can you work with pros? And after that, After that interview, after that meeting, after that confrontation, conversation, what John thought was a confrontation, but was a conversation, Ray cancels all the other interviews, hires John on the spot, get your ass down to Florida, we got work to do, we're building something special here, off to the races. John Trask was an assistant coach with the Miami Fusion in 2000 and that magical 2001 season, working with Ray Hudson alongside him and truly understanding that what they were building in Florida was not only ahead of its time, but has yet to fully be replicated in this league. In 25 for 25, the story of the Miami Fusion from those who lived it, we examine 
what this club has meant to so many people through the stories and perspectives of players, staff, coaches, fans, everybody that was in and around the team now 25 years later. So join us as we talk to John Trask, former assistant coach of the Miami Fusion, in chapter three of 25 for 25, Can You Work With Pros? How did you even get that first job or get that job with the Fusion? Because you were you went from, college, from playing to managing the college team, right? And then you made the leap to, to MLS. Am I, am I getting that timeline correct? Yeah, I was in Indiana. We had just won back-to-back NCAA championships. And, uh, yeah, I can share the story of how I got the job with Ray because it's actually pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, so you are recording right now. I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, no, no, it's okay. So, so yeah, let's, let's actually – this is a good place to start. So how did you get the job uh, with Ray? Did you know Ray ahead of time before you got the job? No, actually, I had never met him. Um, you know, I had been taught at a job interview, you show up with a sport coat and tie, which right. I did. And uh, <laughs> I was still relatively young, I guess, at that time. Um, and uh, I got a call from, from Doug Hamilton, who I'd known. Uh, okay. He used to work with us through Adidas with Indiana University. And he knew a lot of the players that I helped get to the pros or been a part of their development. And uh So he called me, he said, listen, I've just made a coaching change down here in Miami. I know you're at a point, you know, you've won a couple of national championships as an assistant. Um, You know, we've had conversations. Would you be interested in coming down and and meeting Ray? And so I flew down. We were in the middle of camp. So I flew down and uh, I remember Ray picked me up and, you know, he had his shorts on and his, you know, button down shirt. And I think he had a Porsche at the time, if I remember right. And I jumped in and I'm sweating profusely. It's it's June in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we drive about a mile from Lockhart to his house, which I sort of chuckled. And we sat down and we ended up watching uh, one of the Euro uh, games, England against the, uh, Portugal. That's right. And right. Uh, Ray wasn't really talking much. We were just kind of watching the game and chatting about soccer, I guess what you would say. And uh I remember I, I, uh, something happened in the game. It was one of the two Neville brothers and I just was, I I'm English as well. My, my mom's from Liverpool and I just blurted it out like something to the effect of pub player. And as I said it, I thought, well, he's English, but chances are I've just lost any opportunity to have to possibly work with this man. And it actually turned, uh, upside down from there. He kind of turned, he looked at me and he asked me, he said, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. And the only one I remember was, can you, can you work with pros? Because I was still, you know, I think I was 33 at the time. Sure. And I had just dealt with some very high level players at Indiana, uh, guys like Kovalenko, Nick Garcia, you know, kind of legendary MLS players. Yep. And so I felt very confident that I could work with pros. And uh, I said, yes. And he, the game ended. He took me back in his car. I uh, went and had dinner with Doug and his wife, Paige. And I flew out of there. I had no idea. I got back to camp. Everybody said, how did the interview go? I said, I have no idea. 
I said, I don't know if it was good or bad. <laughs> and I got a call from Doug in the morning and he said, he's canceled all the other interviews. He wants you here tomorrow. Wow. And I went to Jerry Yeagley, who was my mentor at that point. And, and I said, you know, coach, I, you know, it's a challenge. It's new. I'm, I'm going to go for it. There's something about this person that I could just tell he was special. And yeah. Doug had told me that too. And I knew Doug would look after me. So there's nothing keeping me in Bloomington. I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. And I said, you know what? I've got a couple championship rings. I've had a great 10 years in the college game. I'm going to go try to help this new league is the yeah. way I looked at it. And I had heard from former players, uh, you know, they felt like some of the coaching they thought could be better. You know, they said, we need some guys like you uh, that can help, you know, run trainings basically and help us mature as players at the next level. So that that's where it started and, and got there in it was the middle of June of 2020. Um, and Ray was really just kind of putting his stamp on it. If it were, he hadn't been, I think he'd only been maybe one or two games, maybe six or seven days. He had yeah. been in charge. Um, and before that it was Evo Portman. Right. Um, and so that's kind of, that was the beginning of it all, I guess. Yeah. You, um, you mentioned June. So in June, 2000, I was just, I was thinking about the fact that there's a, there's a lot of change right in that sort of, uh, 99 and, and then heading into 2000, right? So this is the 2000 season where you join, you meet with Ray. There's quite a few things that happen from a league perspective. So, uh, prior to this point, they had had the shootouts instead of a draw to end the season that went away with, um, it's a, they had a countdown clock and then they went away with that and went to the, the clock counting up and refs keeping the time on the field, which is, is consistent with the rest of the, the FIFA leagues. And all those changes were implemented uh, with Don Garber, who is still the uh, uh, MLS commissioner to this day, coming in and, and sort of assessing. So you kind of have all that going on at the league just for people who, who aren't aware because you're talking about, um, you know, leagues still being young and people still asking about um, – having good training and, and assistance and, and in with a lot of new things, right? So people are trying to get their legs under them, assess what's going to work, what's not going to work. And I, I, I have said this on both of the other episodes and I've said it in numerous other forums. I will say it again. If you're not from the United States, you do not understand how large this country is and having that many teams spread out across the country, um, is hard going from Miami to LA, right? Is difficult. It is a tough travel day. Not to mention, I mean, now there's almost uh, what 30 teams in MLS, which is wild. And you still have people going from, you know, like uh, uh, Austin all the way up to Vancouver, over to Montreal and down to Orlando. I mean, the travel is just chaotic in a lot of regards. And so, um, so I say all of that to say trying to find appropriate and qualified staff to help these players grow and learn while dealing with all the logistical pieces of living in a different city, traveling back and forth. It's still a new league. The rules are changing, trying to get a grip on it and carve out a career is tough. So I think in a lot of ways, what I remembered seeing uh, is a most successful coaches and structures were set up by very successful college previous college coaches um and and having that foundation to help players bridge that gap 
um, or not that gap, but bridge the path from college to, to the pros in a lot of ways. So I think, you know, I, I, I think it's really ironic, um, that you're watching the Euros. So, well, I said all that to be like, I think Ray saw a lot of like, this is maybe some missing pieces that, that we don't have is this structure, uh, from a staff perspective that, that you had, that you could bring and you could work with the pros and he asking that question, understanding that you wouldn't get overwhelmed. You'd be there to dig in and, and do the work. Um, so before I go on to the next part, I got I got This is the part I was chuckling at that I thought it was a bit ironic that you're watching the Euros. It's one of the Neville brothers, and one of the Neville brothers is currently managing the 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 team that's in Miami at this point. So everything in life comes full circle in a, in a lot of ways, right? We we're talking about one Neville brother back in 2000. We we're talking about another one here in 2020. You know, 2023. So every everything in life comes full circle. Well, and truth be told, Joe, I was leaving to the Netherlands in about five days. I was going to Euro. I already had my, uh, it wasn't an Airbnb at that point. I had my hotel. I had tickets to games. I had already been to the Netherlands for about four weeks to watch training in the spring of 2000. And I was heading back to go for, I think, three games, nine days. And I never told Ray. I don't even think to this day he knew that. Well, he's listening now. Because, now he knows. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I didn't want him to say, oh, well, you know what? I've got someone else. You just go have fun in the Netherlands and uh, I'll get <laughs> someone else in here to manage it with me. So, yeah. No, that's uh, um, I think I, I I would absolutely have done the same thing. I think everybody can understand that. Like, you know what? I'll make my way back to the Netherlands later. Let's let's dig down on this. This incredible opportunity. Right. Um so coming in in 2000, Ray had taken over the team, and then 2000 was was a bit of a, I think it was a bit of an understanding almost of the pieces that you have at your disposal as far as the players on the team, and then putting the pieces into place, identifying the gaps that you had that set you up, that set the fusion up for that historic 2001 season. So I want to I want to know from your perspective. Coming into training some of those early days, what was what was the vibe like uh, that you observed of the players and what was sort of the overall tone uh, and sentiment of the camp or of training and of the players? Um, I think to me what was interesting is you had already a lot of really unique personalities. Now, some of them ended up not being there a year later, uh, but Ray had already made like the change to Nick Ravondo and Gold. Right, a brave move. You've got Garth Lagerway, you've got Jeff Kassar, two very, very good goalkeepers, had played four years of college. And so Ray had made that brave call. That was not that was a non-negotiable. Nick was going to be our goalkeeper. Yeah. No disrespect to the other guys. And so, you know, we had Roy Lassiter, um, Eric Winalda, who I knew because he played college with some friends of mine, but he was kind of on his way out the door, whatever had happened with him, not with Ray, maybe more so with Doug. Yeah. So we knew change was afoot, but I also think the magic of Ray was immediately he lightened the atmosphere. I didn't say he lightened the atmosphere. He, he's such a footballer's coach Yeah. that immediately they sensed that because Evo was pretty regimented. You did, you know, people think, oh, a Brazilian coach, 
he must have just kind of come out and he was more German-like than maybe you would appreciate. And yeah. here comes Ray and, and, and what Ray was telling me, John, you know, trainings, it's not that important. It's what you do when the lights are on. And I'm like, well, you brought me in to help you with training. <laughs> you know, and I'm kind of looking at him like, and I remember it was literally a year later that he actually said, you know, John, that's why I like you in the sense you, you and Ike have set up these training sessions. The players are loving it. They are learning. They don't even realize it. And it's coming out on game day. I never thought that was what we did as coaches. I just thought we kept things ticking over and yeah. enjoying ourselves. And, but that's what made it even, even that year. I, a lot of people say to me, Oh, you guys had 2001. I'm saying, Hey, wait a second. We made a run to the open cup final in 2000. So I was about to say, yeah. Yeah. And so I've always felt if you look at sports, historically, any sport, sometimes you got to get something before you go big. Mm -hmm. And I think that 2000 run to the open cup got everybody in the room, but it also told some of our fans, this, this could get really good. Yeah. Watch out. They still need a piece or two, but this could get really good. And, you know, that, 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 the, you know, and, and there were some guys that ended up not being back the next year that I don't think always got the fair credit. They played a big part in it too. Yeah. Because the change happened when Ray took over. There was a lot of seed work for the 2001 season that started going into it right then. And unfortunately, not everybody got to, got to be a supporter shield winner the next year. Yeah. Um, and some very, very good players and some great guys. Yeah. But hard decisions had to be made. Well, above my pay grade, in all honesty. Yeah. Um, you know, I was usually just told so and so's coming or so and so's leaving. Yeah. Um, that's how it worked with us. You know, Ray was very in tune with managing along with Doug what that squad list would look like. Ike and I were responsible for making sure that things were running smoothly on the training pitch. I think when you look at, I liked what you said about if you look at sports historically, you got to get something to really to, to want it. I mean, I, I was trying to rack my brain for a couple of examples and, and they're escaping me now. But when I'm listening back to this later, I'll go, oh, there's this one and this one and this one and this one. Um, I guess I guess I could start. Um, well, I'll, I'll say that I'll start with a bit of an obvious one, right? So uh, the Chicago Bulls, before they were the Chicago Bulls, before they started dominating and winning, that first couple, I think it was the first year, one of the first years of, of Jordan. It was covered on the last dance. Mm -hmm. They they made a good run, but they couldn't quite get it. They weren't all there. They had the foundation. They had some of the pieces. You didn't have Rodman. There was several other guys that weren't there as well, but I distinctly remembered Rodman was on the Pistons at the time, and and Jordan and the Bulls just couldn't quite get it. But they got the taste of it. You got the you got the desire. You got the want. And to your point, including the fans to be like, hey, uh, there's something cooking here. Just just wait. Like just give us a little bit of time. We're just trying to swap out a few pieces to see what's there. Um, and you know, I think it's so incredible that 
as we're recording this right now, the U.S. Open Cup, I mean, literally right now, when we are recording it, the second round of the U.S. Open Cup for 2023 has kicked off. Um, several matches have already taken place. Several more are going to be taking place again later this week. And and I get, every year I get swept up in, in sort of the stories and like who's going to go on the run, right? Who's going to be the team that kind of surprises people? And, and it was so cool that last year uh, we had another Florida team go the distance and not even just get to the final, but actually win. So Orlando City winning, winning the, the trophy at that point. Um, and I think so many people glaze over uh, the 2000 U.S. Open Cup. I know I had forgotten about it initially. Um, because we want to focus on the trophy, we want to focus on the accomplishment, and but when you peel back the layer, you can see all of the work that was done in 2000 to get people on board, get them in the room, like you said, and get them to understand this is where we're going, this is the culture we're building, and this is like get get on or get off, like we're going, and we believe that this can be great. Um, so let's actually, let's talk about the Open Cup for a bit since we're, we're on the subject of it. It's that time of the year uh, when we're recording this. And, um, you know, the season, the 2000 season at the finish wasn't necessarily great, but the Open Cup was historic. So walk me through some of the memories that you have, maybe of some of those games or, or just the mentality around making that run. You know, NASL didn't participate in the Open Cup. Okay. I I had played in the semifinal of an Open Cup myself, personally. That's awesome. Um, and so being from Milwaukee and, and knowing Chicago and some of the history, and I'm talking about the non-sting, like the Chicago Hungarians or the Eagles. And the Open Cup always mattered to me. And, and I think it did to Ike as well, and I think it did to Ray, but I think I, I cared about it too. And it's a competition. There's a trophy to be won. Yeah. And why don't we start here? Why, why don't, you know, we can't change our record in the regular season, but this is just one game at a time, right? It's a tournament. Yep. And I remember, I forget who we played. It was, honestly, I do not remember. Um, and, it, and it wasn't, it wasn't a good team. It was a smaller professional team, I believe. I don't think they were an amateur team. And we played them in Fort Lauderdale, and we won, and everybody's like, okay, fine, we'll get another game. We, we, we fly up to Michigan, and I'm from the upper Midwest anyways, and uh, we get to Detroit, and we're going to Saginaw, Michigan. Now, we got Welton on the team, guys like Pablo, you know, Jimmy Rooney's like, where are we? We're in the middle of nowhere, Saginaw, Michigan. And we show up at a high school stadium and there are literally five and a half thousand people packed, like planning to beat us. And this was a college amateur team, a that's, summer PDL that's team, right. basically. Y'all beat the New Jersey uh, Stallions, the New Jersey Stallions that first round. And then the, okay. the mid-Michigan Bucks, that was the PDL team. Mid-Michigan Bucks. Yep. Legendary, uh, Michigan's made many runs now in the Open Cup. But yep. back then, they, they weren't. They hadn't been around very long either. Right. And that game seesawed. I Ray was pulling his hair out. He couldn't believe that these amateurs, because it's what they were. Yeah. Uh, 
we're scrapping and fighting. You know, it's the old FA Cup story. Yep. It was the fourth, you know, fourth division playing Manchester United. Yep. And every time we we did something, they countered it. Every time I believe they went up, we found a goal to get back in it. Yep. And it went back and forth and back and forth. And we somehow got through that game. And I think, you know, in fairness, the guys enjoyed themselves. They were kind of in the middle of nowhere at a hotel. Luckily, everybody got to the plane the next day. We got back to Fort Lauderdale. And for years, you know, I would see Pablo. And we still chuckle about it. I remember Saginaw, you know, just. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Doug was with us. We were, it was a real bonding trip because it was, we shouldn't have won the game. Wow. I'll be honest. We we were better to a man, but we should not have won the game. Yeah. They they were actually the better team on the day. And it was one of those we got through it. You know, yeah. like any any cup run, you're gonna have a game where you were off. And that that galvanized the group. Um and we went back to Fort Lauderdale and uh I think we started believing. Yeah. We we you know, it was one of those. There was there was some belief to it. And I think the club so wanted any sort of success and Doug knew the importance of the Open Cup. We, we turned it into something that maybe some other clubs didn't think. And I still, to this day, Joe, um, you know, there are guys on the Chicago fire from back then that know if Tyrone Marshall doesn't get a concussion and Ivan McKinley's not cup tied because he had been with New England, so we couldn't use him. Yeah. He was with us. He couldn't play. I think we beat Now, I'm sure Bob Bradley won't admit it. <laughs> I think we were the better team yeah. in front of 20,000 that night at Soldier's Field. And when Ante caught Tyrone, you know, we just didn't have, we couldn't go to the bench. We just didn't have someone who could be Tyrone. Tyrone yes. was very important physically for us winning head balls and, and, you know, that, that really changed the tide in that game. And it was funny. I was speaking to Dima Kovalenko just the other day about it. Um, and he said, God, we thought we were just going to roll over you guys. We couldn't believe how good you guys have become in such a short period of time. Yeah. Right. Cause I don't think anyone doubted the talent with the fusion ever from 1998 on, you know, Balderrama, all of them. Mm-hmm. But but something needed to get it galvanized, and Ray Ray got it galvanized. Yep. Even that first season, and I think that that then ultimately started to set the tone to who we might be in two thousand one. You know, you <laughs> my I mean, it's just something. There's just something about a cup run, right? Where you just love, like it's it's wild. I've been. I mean, I'm I people know so i'm here in dallas and i grew i went to many many a dallas burn open cup game that was held at university of texas dallas or some other side field before toyota stadium was built right and um and the cotton bowl is busy with some other thing right so you got to play somewhere else and just like uh, here comes you know a pdl team or here comes an a-league team or here comes this team that in theory on paper literally on paper this is going to be a wash. It's not going to be a big deal. And you see them show up with their visiting crew of like a couple hundred fans who are louder than everybody else and are raring to go. And they got their chest, you know, puffed out a little bit like, no, 
we're here. We deserve to be on this field too. And they, you know, they go toe to toe and sometimes MLS wins and sometimes they don't. And it's, it's just, uh, anything can happen, right? It's any given Sunday, any, any, any given, uh, Tuesday, I guess, if that's when the cups played, right? I mean, it's, it's wild, but for folks, so y'all beat the New Jersey Stallions six to one, Slid past the mid Michigan Bucks in a shoot. I think y'all advanced in a shootout. I think it was a shootout. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. And then y'all beat DC uh, in extra time in the next round. Um, beat the Metro Stars in regulation, three two, and then dropped the two to one decision to Chicago in the final. Um, but yeah, that and that one. Oh, if only if only we had gotten the fusion, the cup. And then the Sporter Shield, and and this is what I'm I'm gonna go on a soapbox rant for just just a moment and say one thing uh, that I always felt I felt like you know we talked about that people had varying uh, importance on the uh, the Open Cup for a while. Talking about NASL clubs elected not to participate in the Open Cup for the duration of NASL, uh, and but MLS wanting to participate and uh, and honor the legacy and be and be part of that is incredible. I, I feel. This is my personal opinion. I feel like a lot of fan bases and other organizations didn't really start taking the Open Cup seriously until it was tied to a spot in the champion, the CONCACAF Champions League. The moment you win that and you're in, I mean, you see Orlando um, ended up making the playoffs, but it was touch and go for a while there last year, but they got the Open Cup, so they qualified, right? And there's other teams that don't make the playoffs, but they they put the emphasis on the Open Cup. They get a trophy, and then you get a spot next year. You can rebuild. You can try and make a different run. And I think it gives some additional credibility back. But truly, it is our country's oldest oldest competition in this sport, and it's it's truly incredible. That was that was a wild wild run, but it was it was absolutely incredible. Now I want to talk about when. When the 2000 season ends and you're making plans uh, with Ray, the, as the coaching staff is making plans for starting 2001, you're in the off season. How does how does the mentality shift from kind of taking over a project mid season or early to mid season to starting clean slate? It's our team now, um, not kind of taking over someone's project. How do you, as a coach, how do you approach that mentality and then also approaching it in the professional space versus approaching it with sort of a new class of recruits uh, in the college space? Well, I think, you know, college, you just go, right? The kids have four years. You just go. The off season starts and everybody's like, oh, the journey, the journey. You know, this is pros, right? And <laughs> Ray took off. Ray, Ray went to find some players. And Doug said, we're going to train for three weeks. Wow. And it's, I think it was three weeks. We gave him a week or two off, right? Sure. Whatever the union, those types of things. But then we brought him back because we, we hadn't accomplished anything yet. In sure. fairness. Yeah. Right. Don't blame ownership or management for let's get working again. Why give them in a two and a half month. Right. But I also think that the players knew that Ray was gone. And he wasn't necessarily looking for one player. Mm -hmm. And it was, there were some interesting moments um, and training sessions that, you know, I think, I think Ray was down looking at Pineda Chacon 
And we had a situation at training where we were doing something and it got interesting um, to say the least. And I, I kind of had to step in at one point, you know, and it was a couple of our key guys and it was guys that didn't really want to be there. And I was pushing them a little bit. Yeah. You know, I was used to being, you know, I've been a two-time NCAA champion coach. So, you know, guys, we're not where we want to be yet. And, and, Maybe I was a bit naive. Maybe I should have not done what I did, but I did it and, it and it was there and it was, it was tangible, like to the point where it got pretty verbal between a few of us. And I said, I remember saying to Pablo the next day, I said, was I right? Pablo said, I never knew anyone could yell at me like that, except my parents. He said, I couldn't believe how much you actually care about me. He said, wow. I'm, I'm bought in. I went home and thought about it. So Ike and I, you know, here we are. And there's, there's a lot of, there, like we said, there was always talent. There was never a question of talent with the fusion. It was whether they wanted to live the Fort Lauderdale lifestyle or did they really want to be successful? Right. And so, you know, raised in England, looking at Bishop. He's in, he's in Central and South America looking for someone to play with Diego. Um, you know, we didn't yet know that Precky would be available. Right. So there was still a lot of shifting. You know, both Doug was working the league and Ray was working his international connections to try to upgrade in some spots. And, uh, you know, it was... Uh, you know, I look back so fondly on those moments, but man, they were they were tough moments too. They really were. Um, you know, a couple guys I've seen 15 years later, and there's been kind of both of us look at each other and say, "Oh yeah, pa- yeah, I know." So do I. You know, we were both young, and wow, maybe we shouldn't have said that at that moment. But um, you know, they're just good guys down deep. They were all good guys. When Precky became available, you mentioned Precky, so I want to I want to talk about him for for just a brief moment. Um, when y'all found out that Precky was going to be available, I mean, first of all, if I recall, and I need to double check myself here, I believe uh, Miami was his only non Kansas City. Te- yes, it was. So he played Kansas yep. City his entire MLS career, except the 2001 season. When he was with, uh, when he was with the Fusion, so I, I don't even know how did Pre- how did Preki become available when he is the personification of Kansas City. I mean, he he is as like associated with Kansas City as Peter Vermees is now. I mean, Preki and Kansas City go together like the Wizard of Oz and and rainbows, right? And I mean, it's just like, how did, how did Precky become available for the Miami Fusion to have him on the team and be the wonderful magician that he is? How did that even happen? Honestly, I don't know. I, you know, I, I grew up around Bob Gansler, we're both from Milwaukee, so yeah, I knew yeah, yeah. him. And, uh, and Doug knew Precky somehow. I don't know exactly how. I'd never met him. Um, and I remember Ray says it so much more eloquently. It was one of those where Doug kind of said, hey, listen, Precky's available. Ray's like, what are you doing? Get him. 
just what? And Doug's point, because Doug knew the game. I mean, he was a good player himself. He said, where are we going to play him? Frankie's like, John, will fig- we'll figure it out. Don't worry. Just get him. Get him on a plane. Get him here. So I remember he, Ray said to me, he said, we're bringing Precky in. I said, really? Really? He goes, yeah, you need to go to the airport and pick him up. Because back then, you were not just the, you know, an assistant coach. You were the team administrator. You picked guys up at the airport. Yeah. So I, I, I drive to the airport. I picked Precky up. And I played for a Serbian team growing up. So I looked at him and I said, hey, Pedro Gravoslavovich. I called him by his real name. He turned, he looked at me. He was like, what? I said, I don't think my boss wants part of you. He wants all of you. Hmm. He wants all of it. And Preki said, let's go to the locker room. And we went and played ping pong for two hours, Preki and I, that <laughs> night. But I, I did. I said it to him on the car ride. Ray Hudson's not bringing you in here t- for you to get two or three assists and make a play every three games. You're the linchpin to this. And I told Breck, I said, listen, he's putting together a team. He and Doug, we're going to be good. Like, get excited about this. And, you know, I remember Don Popovic, who had brought Precky to this country, I talked to him years later, he said, well, you got Precky at a good age. You know, he was 38, 39. He was, it was 100% about the team. Um, He said, you know, when I brought him to the Tacoma indoor, We'd win the game six to five and Precky be yelling at everybody that they didn't get the ball so he could score again. You know, it was a different Precky that we inherited and yeah. uh, became great friends with him. I mean, Eric and I, after almost every game, you know, he would take us out to dinner. He, I went and had coffee with him every afternoon because he didn't bring his family. Ray would be like, what do you do in the afternoon? I'm like, I'm having coffee with Precky. He goes, oh my God, are you? I said, well, we got to keep the superstars happy. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Brecky and I, you know, and I always tell people, you know, you know, you have this perception of people or, or the public perception of someone could be so vastly different than who they truly are. I've said this to tons of people. If my car was broken down in the middle of Wyoming, one of the first people I could call would be Brecky. He would make sure that I'm okay. That's actually the type of man that he really is. And that's why Ray loved him, because he saw that right away. Frankie has a really good heart, even though he could be a tough, tough nut at times, too. Yeah. Um, it's what made him a great player. Yeah. You know, I uh, there's, so, ah, there's so much goodness in there, right? First of all, ping pong for two hours, that's incredible. Coffee in the afternoons, what, like, just... This is this is the kind of stuff that you don't hear, right? These are the not the questions that they're asking after after a game, right? I mean, this is this is incredible insight into the personality of one of the greats in in, yeah. in, in such an. Experience. And I, Joe, I never paid. Really? No, he never once let me pay for anything. Wow. He would introduce me as his uncle, even though I was two years younger than him. <laughs> right? He's a funny guy, but he never let me pay because he knew. He knew I wasn't getting paid an outrageous sum, right? I was yeah. there for the love of the game. Yep. But that's that's the type of man the Precky is. I mean, you know, what you said that story that story when you picked him up from the airport that gave that gave me chills because it's all I think so often in life every 
just about everything is about like managing expectations, right? I mean, Preki could have come, could have been like, oh, we're so excited to have you here. Like, it's so cool, this, that, and the other. Could show up, like you said, make a play every three games, get a goal here, an assist there, collect the paycheck, move on. But showing up, you calling him by his full name, hey, statement of intent right here. We're, we are picking you up because we want all of you. We know how good you are. We know how special you are. We're building something special. That's why we want you on the team to fit in with that. And then for people at home, Preki was the third leading goal scorer on the team that year behind Cerna and Chacon. He had eight goals, 10 assists. So yeah, you got him at a good age. He was the linchpin to so much of what made it work. And I, and I, oh, I love, I love the brilliance of if you can get a player like Preki, get him. You put him on the field, let him figure out where he wants to play. We'll build around him. You don't like, I think, I think I love to talk about stats and tactics and to overthink things. And I feel like too often there's, there's a lot of overthinking the game um, because we can, we have more data, we have more availability than we've ever had before. Um, and the risk with that is to overthink everything instead of just feeling it and just letting people go, put the 11 out, let them go. Um, and I think you can see how Ray did that with the team, especially with a player like Preki, especially with these special players, right? Like Chacon and Cerna and Bishop Rooney is just putting them out and letting them go. And then letting them, with their bonds and their 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 camaraderie, figuring things out. Obviously, it's not you know there's a there's a fine line. You can't just have nothing, right? But it's 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 a give and take, and and so having the ability to um, not overthink should we add Preki or should we not? No, you add him, and then you make it work. Is is this is just absolutely astounding? I love that story. That was incredible. When you come back or when Ray comes back and y'all have started the season and so um, you've got uh, Bishop, you've got him on the team, you've got Chacon on the team. I, I want to ask this. I know J uh, Jim alluded to it a little bit on his episode. So Diego Cerna has been on the team multiple seasons, right? He's been the leading scorer. He's used to being the guy. Um, and then sometimes would be excellent and brilliant and sometimes would, would be a little absent in front of the goal mouth, right? And just some a little little streaky, not con, not as consistent as you would like from your top goal scorer. Chacon comes in and, and uh, Jim alluded to maybe a little little bit of a fire under Cerna of like, oh wait a minute, this guy's getting goals. Let me let me let me get some goals too. What how did that dynamic work between Chacon and Cerna as the season started progressing and they both started putting the ball in the back of the net? Because Chacon finished that season with 19 goals and Cerna had 15 goals. So they were, they were right there. Yeah. I, I've told people I've seen him play many times live. Luis Suarez and Messi. Mm. Diego was Luis Suarez before Luis Suarez arrived. I believe it. Temperamental, brilliant, a, an absolute excellent soccer player. I don't think a lot of people... I mean, Diego Cerna could pass the ball with the best of them. Yeah. I mean, some of the assists that he got to Alex or to Preki or to Jimmy Rooney. I mean, he he was a total footballer, a lot like Luis Suarez. You know, everybody talks about Suarez's goals. 
Yeah. When he played with Messi and Neymar, he, a lot of times he was the setup man. He'd float out wide and bend the ball in the box. And I think that was the freedom that Ray wanted the team to have, that total football, yeah. which I was a Cruyff kid myself, so I believed in that. Yep. I believed if everybody would sacrifice a little bit of themselves, and guys did that across the board, Rooney, Bishop, Chacon, Cerna, Precky, Chris Henderson, Pablo. You know, Pablo probably knew he should have been a defensive midfielder even at that point in his career. He played in the back force. There were so many little sacrifices. And like in any pro sports, if you didn't get some results like we did right away, maybe it would have fizzled. Maybe there would have been. But it, it was like a hand to glove. And it was such a dynamic you know, forced because if you start to pay attention to Serna and Pineda Chacon and Precky, Rooney and, and Chris Henderson ripped you apart. Yeah. They, they literally ripped you apart. And then the moment you said, well, you know what? Just let Bishop have the ball. He would slot a ball through so perfectly weighted. I mean, it, it was, it was really special football. We knew it. I knew it right when I saw it. We were playing 5v2 first day. We got everybody in. And Carlos Shimosa had a smile from year to year. Now he was multiple champion, D.C. United, national team, knew exactly what a winning formula looks like in MLS. And he knew it right away. He was like, this is, this is special. And, and there was a hunger. Yeah. You know, we caught guys at the right time, whether it was there. You know, Alex had been passed by. A couple times, I guess, he wanted to be with the Fusion. Um, yeah. And they didn't bring him in for whatever reason. When Ray showed me him, I'm like, he's just more technical than the players in this league. It doesn't matter how slight he is. He's just better. Yeah. You know, he, he, in some ways, it kind of reminds me right now of this Klaus guy from St. Louis. Oh, yes. He, he's just more talented than a lot of guys that, that are in the league. Yeah. Talking today. Alex was the same way. And Alex also was such a gentleman that I think he helped clear the air if there was ever going to be an issue with Cerna because he was just such a genuinely good person. Yeah. He, he, you know, he would never not give the ball to Cerna if the right decision was to give it to Cerna. Yeah. He didn't have that bone in his body. And that, I think really helped everybody because there was so much attacking talent. Um, but it, it, it was, uh, you know, that, that front, I, I, I call it the front 10 and that's, that's not being fair to Nick Ramondo right. because I think at the season's end, we had 56 goals or something like that total. I don't remember exactly. Yes. That's exactly correct. Yes. Over over 15 of the goals started with the ball on Nick Ramondo's foot. And 15 passes or more of the ball got picked out of the other team's goal and the other team never touched the ball. And I don't know in any soccer league anywhere, Barcelona's greatest years, 2008, if they would have had a better percentage of that. Yeah. It was close to a quarter of our goals started with our goalkeeper and the other team never touched the ball. That was the brilliance of this group of players. That that's I've been coaching a while now. I, I've never seen it. 
other than maybe that 2008-2009 Barcelona team. Yep. Um, it, it was wonderful to be around. It was wonderful to watch, and they enjoyed playing with each other. And I, you know, things would start to break down somewhere, and that magical left foot of Ivan McKinley would hit a pass 60 yards to where they could, they just didn't have anyone marking Trekkie in that moment. Who would have thought a guy was going to club it yeah. on a dime, knee high, to the best, maybe the best attacking midfielder in the league at the time, Trekkie. The other teams were like, what just happened? No, you just, the fusion just showed you what we're capable of. Yeah. We could hit you in so many different ways. It, it was, uh, yeah, it was just an interesting, extremely talented group of players. I'll never forget, I remember watching one game. I don't remember where I was, but I remember we were on the road. We had the, the TV on in the hotel, and the Fusion were playing. And there was it was, uh, it was during this season. And there was a sequence where there was – I know I've seen the clip recently. I was trying to pull it to put it on, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, but I, I couldn't find it. So I'll try and find it and post it when I do find it. Um, there's a foul in the buildup, right? Multi-pass sequence, bing, 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 bing. Foul in the buildup, right on the other side of the half, the halfway line, and um, the player pops back up. The ball's rolling, pauses it enough to put a finger on it so it stops, and the ref's like, "Yep, you're good to go." Immediately starts the passing sequence, and the uh, the uh, entire other team is just glued to the spot because they're just like, "What? What's happening? Why? Why? Why are they going? Why are they going?" And the ball, ball goes in, goal. I think it was Chacon that got the goal. Um, and and I remember everybody was complaining. I was like, what did I just see? And people were like, this is brilliant. And and nobody was questioning the like from the the announcing standpoint, right? Nobody was questioning the validity of the goal. Everybody was going on and on about the brilliance to think through that that made the most sense at the time because we're total football right let's keep it going I'm down here you've taken my spot we're moving forward we're going forward we're going to get this goal and I've not seen that replicated until this past week in MLS uh, I saw Nashville do something similar where they paused the ball for half a second and then started the sequence and and scored and so that was the first time that I remember seeing something so fluid in that way but even still not as fluid as the fusion and the fact that that was you know, back in 2001 of just like, we're moving, we're going. It was unlike anything the league had ever seen up to that point. And, and to that, to what you were saying, it was absent in a lot of spaces of football across the globe, um, except maybe with Barcelona later on. But, but that was, I just had to to call that out um, because that was just an incredible uh, passing sequence that, that led to that goal. It's I think yeah. Joe, when you, when you say that 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 was the genesis, using Ray Hudson's word, I know he loves that word. It was the genesis of what he wanted out of his team. Yeah. And I had so many people tell me, "Ah, oh, Ray was just an announcer who coached." And I'm like, "You guys, listen to him announce a soccer game. Yeah. You will know exactly what he believes in. It comes out. Well, those players knew it." He didn't have to say it to him every day. It wasn't just enjoy your football. It was outwit, outthink, be more clever. We got your back. Ray would always say to me, you know, John, 
85% of you I love. 15% you drive me nuts. I'll take the 85%. You're my guy. And that's what he told the players in a consistent way. He, he never took you out of a game. He, he just believed. And I think it came from who he was. You know, he didn't want to be this regimented, you must switch the ball if X, Y, and Z says. And Eichmann came, you know, because Eric got to train right. with the NASL team before he went to college and played in the World Cup and in the Olympic team and all that. So he knew what Ray was all about. Well, Eric and I were on the same page. I, I, yes, I believe there's there's dictums or whatever you want to say to be an effective team. You got to pick your points of conference. But this overanalyzing and, and and you can only move here and you can only do this. Ray was like, the world's your oyster. Once you get in front of in, in those lines, you know what, guys, just play, enjoy your football. And it came out in moments like that, like you're saying. No, no one was saying, well, why don't we load the box with our big guys? <laughs> well, we would we would occasionally. Yeah. But if Jeff Billick wanted to put his finger on the ball and play quickly to Precky, he didn't have the emotion in the back of the team going, Billick, you know, you're not usually a starter. Who, who do you think you are playing a quick ball in that situation? We, he just – it started with Ray. He just trusted every player on the team. He just trusted you. He trusted us as coaches. And it was a wonderful work environment. Um, once again, I, I I think so many people thought, well, you know, he wasn't he wasn't like being demanding every day, and he wasn't running every training session. He didn't need to. Yeah, his dictums were there. You're going to enjoy your football. You know, if yeah. you think the warm up before a game. It's gonna it's gonna make a difference when the whistle blows in front of your fans. That's that's when the entertainer and I guess that's the real thing Ray wanted. He wanted entertainment. Yeah. You know, and I, I just feel so fortunate that I ever met him, I ever got to work with him. And then obviously the group of players. It was it was magical. You know. And I don't know if it would have been better if we played four more years and we would have just become, quote unquote, another MLS team. Yeah. Maybe the mystique of it was it was a brief moment in, in time. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I you bring up. Um, I was reading an interview that Ray gave um, uh, a, a while ago, and he talked about that. You know, if people, you know, I, I encourage the players go to Disney World, go out with your family, go get beers, go go hang out, go to the beach, right? And then be back here on Thursday and be ready to work hard because we're going to work hard. And then also we're going to go enjoy life. And then we're going to work hard. And then we're going to enjoy life. Right? Jeff said in the last episode, we like to win. Uh, we like to party. We like to have fun. We like to work hard. And we like to win. Right? And, and over and over. Yeah. And that was sort of the philosophy. And I, I, I brought up the Chicago Bulls earlier. And I'm thinking back now. What really struck me in the form of a great manager. Right? A great coach. A great leader. Um, in the way that we're talking about Ray, um, I as a kid, I was aware that Phil Jackson had something unique about him and how he organized his his 
his players and and got the got them to rally around a cause. But I, I, you know, you only see so much. And so when they did the documentary, The Last Dance, they talked about his interactions with, with Rodman. And I remember specifically Rodman, with the exception of Detroit early days, never really found anywhere else where he really settled it like Chicago. And it was just the, the, his dynamic. He understood Dennis was a different type of player and had a different type of mindset. And he also gave Dennis the space to say, when it was like, I got to take a break. I got to go out. I got to go on a, you know, on a, on a vacation for me. And then I'll be back. And he's like, great. How many days do you need? Two days, three days, one day. What do you need? It's like, I need two days. He's like, cool. I'll see you back on Thursday. So on Thursday, he'd come back and he'd be ready to work and he'd work hard. He's like, but I knew I got to give him space. I, my players need space. And then they wanted to come back and work. And I, he, I feel, I feel that with, with a lot of these stories I'm hearing about Ray is he knew the players need space to play and have fun and enjoy life. And work hard. Because I think when you give that space as a leader, people want to work hard for you because they respect you, they appreciate you, and they know that you're trying to get them to be their best so they can succeed. They believe in you, you believe in them, and you get that winning uh, that winning mentality. And I think you're right. It, it might be a little bit of the mystique of it was a brief moment in time. It's very nostalgic, right? So many years now, it's 25 years since the 98 season, right? And then that lasted for, for four years. Um, and also, um, what what could have been, right? Maybe there would have been some, some, some downtimes and maybe it, it would have kept going. But, um, but yeah, it's, um, it's just, it's so, it's so incredible. I love that. Um, I want to to ask you about um, as you're in the 2001 season. We talked about the excitement, and we talked about kind of everybody being on board. Um, as you're nearing the playoffs, and we know that y'all got knocked out uh, in the semifinals by the earthquakes. How do I want to ask this? There, Maybe this is a better way to ask it. I want to say, what was the vibe like? Because obviously this was Donovan sort of homecoming, like the golden boy. This is right before the World Cup. He's coming to MLS. He's the next big thing. Literally has golden hair at the time, right? Um, what was it like from a, maybe like a media perspective of having such a spotlight on on one one domestic player that really hadn't quite been there in that same way previously like did you notice a lot more um chatter about donovan uh, donovan and the earthquakes against this team or the other um and just what was your perception of of the media and of donovan kind of at that time in that part of the season well Truth be told, when when Landon was thinking about coming back, we were one of the teams he was thinking about coming to. Oh wow! Doug okay. had a prior relationship with him. I had worked with him some with the under seventeen national team. Okay. So I knew how talented he was. Um, you know, when he became available, we ended up actually getting Kyle Beckerman, um, who was fantastic, mm-hmm. um, off that same junior national team. You know, right. the first of the generation Adidas. Yep. What you hear today, you know. Um, and Landon was coming back and, you know, the, he wasn't going to go to Southern Cal, even though he was from there, uh, more so than Northern California. And it was down to probably us in San Jose. Um, I don't remember exactly why he ended up there, but I remember telling the players, do not underestimate this young man. 
he's a stone cold killer in front of goal. And he is so quick. And he's just what they showed, yeah. right? Over a consistent period of time. Just a really, really talented player. And in fairness, a couple of our older players like, come on, guys, eat tea. I'm like, guys, I'm telling you, do not underestimate this guy. He is legitimately right. And we tried. In fairness, he, and they had other good players. I mean, they were, that was a very good team as well. Ronnie Eklund, they, they were. And I think they, at least I've heard some stories of them, they felt they might have been on the chopping block as well, yeah. in, in the sense of if there was going to be contraction. Um, you know, we, I think we would win that. But 9-11 shook our team to the core. And, you know, that morning when I went in to get the money, as I said, you know, you're the team administrator and the coach. So I was picking up all the per diem um, and the plane hits. And I remember sitting with Nick Megalutis thinking, oh, great. Tyrone doesn't like to travel anyways. Pablo could get a bit edgy around our flights if something changed. And I thought, this is, this is not going to be a good day. And then the second plane hit. And I looked at Nick and, you know, obviously the last thing on our mind was what our guys, I, I always go back and think how selfish I was in that moment. I'm thinking about a professional soccer team going to have a rough travel day because guys don't like to fly anyways. But it was bigger than that, Joe. I mean, yeah. Jimmy's family, yeah. you know, most of our front office had, been brought down from New York because Ken Horowitz was a New York guy himself. Mm-hmm. And then Carlos Shimosa, who had worked at the Trade Center yeah. when he was younger. It it I'm not saying it didn't affect every single team in the league. And obviously the teams that were up right up there, but we had a lot of ties. I don't think a lot of people knew. We had some really, really deep ties to New York as well. And it was, it was a game changer for the whole world, but it was a game changer for the fusion too. I, I'm not sure we had some really good moments after that. We had some really good performances, but I don't see how Jimmy and Carlos and, and, and our secretaries in the front office, it, it was, we were flying and it, it knocked us back a little bit. And, yeah. I'm not so sure how much I should say about it. It, it yeah. just did. I, yeah. I, it just did. Yeah. Um, you know, we were, we were going to fly to New York that day. That game got canceled. Right. We're sitting there wondering, and then we were supposed to fly straight to DC. So it was a multiple game road trip for us. Right. Obviously that game got, now it ended up, we were off for two weeks. Um, or whatever it was. I don't know exactly the amount of days, but it, it, that that changed the trajectory, I think, of what I believe would have actually happened. Yeah. I think we would have won that championship. No disrespect. San Jose was a very good team as well. Uh, but it was so personal for some of our players uh, and, and for our ownership and, and our front office as well. You know, Doug was a Jersey guy. Yeah. And to put it into perspective, um, looking at the schedule, y'all didn't, y'all, that was the, so y'all played on September 8th. Um, 
and then there's and then there's a gap, right? And then you go right into the playoffs. So the the tail end of the regular season was effectively canceled at that point, and then just sort of regrouping for the playoffs. Um, and I think it can be very difficult um, if folks are listening to this or are um, didn't uh, didn't sort of live through it, right? Um, or maybe not in the same way. Maybe they were too young to really comprehend what, what was going on at the time. But it was the whole world shut down, um, and definitely here in the states, in a way that I I haven't really seen since since uh, up until COVID. That was the but that was very different, right? Very different circumstances. But still, the world shut down because we didn't know what was happening. We didn't know what this meant. Is this an isolated incident? Was this part of something bigger? Are there going to be more? Like, what is happening? Um, and it, it, it rattles you. It rattles you. Um, I think you talked to, You just talked about where you were when that was happening, right? I remember where I was watching the TV and what was going on at the time. You know, I was sick and I was at home and I was asleep when the first one hit. And my mom woke me frantically up about, like, I don't know what's happening, but I, I think you need to, like, we need to be together right now. And... And I watched when the second one hit and then the, the, the one that went down in Pennsylvania. Um, and it was just, it was, it was confusion. I just remember not comprehending what I was watching. That's yeah. the, and I was, I mean, I was a teenager, right? So I was older, um, but it was just hard to comprehend. So yeah, I can completely understand how something to that effect with such strong connections talked about um, uh, players and, and different family and friends and connections um, that absolutely will change priorities, perspectives, motivations. Um, it's, it's tough. It's hard. Um, now I know that, like you said, y'all did recover. You had some good performances after that knocked out Kansas city and then the series um, moved to San Jose for the semifinals and, and y'all got knocked out. Now it, it's interesting. Uh, I am going to shift gears here and say, you know, what's I, what's again, a bit interesting to me is that ML, MLS loves to experiment with its playoff format, trying to figure out like what's going to make the most sense, what's going to add the most drama, what's going to be interesting. And at the time, in 2001, it was a three-game series. And I, I think, if I recall correctly, uh, I think it was in 2001. By, there was one period of time where it was uh, just a best-of-three series. Like, you win two games, you're, you're in. And there was another year, it was the first two, a set number of points. And you got, like, three points for a win, one point for a draw. First one to five points goes on, which is a bit convoluted. That was it. Okay. Okay. That's right. First of five points was, was 2001. So, um, I say it's interesting because, um, you've seen the last couple years. Um, well actually the last couple years they've done the single knockout this year, they're going back to uh, a best of three playoff series, but it's just, uh, I believe just tied to results, not tied to any point structure, not tied to any aggregate goal. And that's what it was before the single knockout was they did the aggregate home and away. Um, combined score. 
And some of the some of these scores in these playoff games were pretty lopsided. Like a two y'all won two nothing one game against Kansas City, lost three nothing. The next one won two to one. I mean, back and forth and back and forth. One like three nothing, lost four nothing. I mean, just back and forth to where if it was aggregate, it would have been wild uh, going back and forth like that. But it was but it was um, just a point. So I'm I'm curious from your perspective. Um, just more of a, a thought as MLS is going into, uh, the best of three for one of the rounds of the playoffs this year, um, kicking it off. It, I, I'm trying to remember cause it's, it's complicated. I think there's a play in game for the lower seeds and that's a one-off knockout round game. And then it goes into the best of three series. And then it goes to, I think either home and away or single knockout. Somebody listening can correct me, but it's it, it changes as it goes. So what's your perspective on um, maybe w- w- what makes sense from a playoff standpoint for MLS? What do you what do you like, I guess I would say, from a playoff playoff perspective? Well, you, you had mentioned it earlier about how so many rules were implemented thinking we're going to Americanize the sport. And yeah. I give Don Garber the utmost credit not a soccer man at that point right. comes in and says, what are we doing? What, you know, we're, we're, we're always going to be looked at as a Mickey mouse league when we don't follow the same rules as anyone else. Um, you know, the, the got Eric Winalda playing goalkeeper in a shootout. Yeah. Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and I give Don absolutely huge credit. Having said that, so we, that's exactly what happened. We, we win the game at home against Kansas City. We got to go play on a Wednesday. It, it, in fairness, it wasn't like the league is now. The playoff games, there were, if there were 300 people at that game in Kansas City on that Wednesday, and we already had three points, we're coming home. We never lose at home. What do we care? Yep. Right. So there was this, and, and we, you know, you, you had an hour and a half long conversation with Jimmy Rooney. Let me tell you why. You put Jimmy Rooney and Bishop and Precky and some of the other people. There were some deep thinkers. You know, Pablo was like, hey, it's another game. Let's just play. Jim Rooney's like, why don't we even, let's leave Precky home. Why would we even fly him to San Jose? Yeah. Just get him fresh. Well, you know, that's being said. And Doug's like, well, don't think that's really what the league's looking for. Mm. Right. But you had, you know, Ian Bishop had played in England for a long time for Man City. He was like, listen, if we win the first game, don't send me. Don't send Yamosa. Don't send Preki. Let us relax. Not get on, as you mentioned earlier, those types of flights. Yeah. They're the team that needs to beat us on the Wednesday to even get the three points. Even if we get a tie out there, we still have to get another result. Yep. Why don't we just come back home and get the result? We know we can. So that was, uh, you know, and as well after 9-11, people had opinions on a lot of things, and, and rightly so. Yep. I, you couldn't argue with what some of the players were saying. But also Ray and Doug were saying, yeah, you know, I don't want to confront Don Garber <laughs> and, and say we're just throwing the game. Right. Right. Where, where's the, you know, 
the manliness in that, I guess. Sure. Um, you know, the sportsmanship in that. So, yeah, it, it was a weird playoff format, at least for all of us. And and a lot of our guys were truly kind of ethnic or, or European. Yeah. You know, Rooney, yeah, he was American, but his whole upbringing was with ethnic men's leagues in, in uh, New York. Yeah. Uh, Carlo, uh, you know, we were, we didn't have a lot of college guys. Um, you know, I'd say even a guy like Chris Henderson, you know, who had played at UCLA and grown up in Seattle, he was playing men's ball up in Seattle from a young age. So he was used to a two game aggregate and, and yep. things like that. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a bit strange. I don't know how, how the players would say, I don't even know if you asked that question, Jimmy, did you? No, Remember? no, I didn't. Cause I was, I was thinking about, um, I mean, honestly, when I recorded with them, they may not have announced the new playoff rules for this year. Uh, at that point, because um, those kind of came down the pipe pretty last minute. I mean, there was an interview uh, Phil Neville gave uh, uh, in preseason that said, you know, it was it, it picked up steam. It was everywhere. It was a, it was a bit of a headliner. Um, he was like, you know, I kind of feel like the uh, lack of information on the playoff structure weeks before the season starts is a little amateur um, in that in that res- in that respect, right? And what he meant to say was, we need to know well in advance what these changes are, so we can plan accordingly. Reasonable request, right? I think the the headline was a bit was a bit you know with a little bit of um, uh, bent to it in in some ways, but and but yeah. Joe, in fairness, I don't I don't know did that also get changed post nine eleven? In fairness, oh, that's a to good Don, point. Yeah. And Mark Abbott and the they guys of the league, did they, they were still, I mean, you know, they, they thought we were going to go play in, in uh, DC right on the 13th. Yeah. We thought we were flying on the 12th. It, it was, it was like you said, as the day went on, we realized as a country and you have this upstart soccer league that's trying to make it. Uh, you know, I don't envy Don at all. Yeah. And the league offices were up there in New York. Yep. I mean, so, um, you know, it, it didn't work out for us, the three games, the five points. Right. Um, that that was, I guess, the, the rub for a lot of our players. They didn't understand why it was to five points. Yeah. I think, I think if you're going to, if you're going to do a multi-game, this is just my own personal opinion. If you're going to do a multi-game series, just do just do the result. Unless you're going to do an aggregate home and away. If you're going to do a home and away aggregate, align it with FIFA, the rest of the leagues, I think that's fine. If you're going to do more than two games, right? So best of three series, just do, just do the results. First one to two wins, wins, right? And you can even do like PKs yeah. at the end of a tie if you want to have a result that's not a draw, right? I think that's fair to do. You don't have to do a run-up shootout style. You don't have to do extra time. You can just go do like the the League's Cup, right? Just go straight to the PKs and bypass extra time. Um, not huh, League's Cup, not to be confused with the MLS and Liga Mekki League's Cup. I'm specifically talking about the English League Cup. Um, I think it's called mm-hmm. what, the Caribou Cup or the Carabao Cup yep. or whatever. Yeah, so where they go yep. straight to PKs. But, all right. Well, you, the Fusion don't win. Um, so they're knocked out of the playoffs, and the call came down to contract the team 
pretty pretty soon after the season wrapped, uh, as I recall. So where where were you when you heard, hey, we're done, and you got to that point where uh, you were sharing a story with me before we started recording about telling Brian Dunseth in the parking lot about you're done. How did you how did you get the news about the team? Ray and Doug called every employee. Okay. At least the coaching staff and all the front office staff into our little, you know, we had a little place over by Lockhart and we were all in the big conference room and Ken broke the news to us, Horowitz from, he was up in West Paul and, uh, don't know if I should say it, but that, that little speaker sitting there went flying. Ray picked it up and, you know, couldn't believe it. We were all just shocked. Like we were still in shock that we lost. We were still in shock from 9-11. Yeah. On a personal level, I was still in shock. My father had passed away about a month before 9-11. So there, yeah. You know, there are a lot of emotions running through us. And, uh, you know, like I said, I just kind of wandered out of the building. By myself, just kind of like, what am I going to do? Yeah. You know, I, I'd been at Indiana University for 16 years as a player and a coach. Now I'm contracted as a professional uh, coach. You know, I was young. I'd bounce back. I, I was a, but it was weird. And yeah. like I said, I think Precky called me maybe, and I told him right away. Or maybe he called Ray. I, I remember he was there. Or, or called, but it was Dunset just kind of rolled up in his car and just rolled down his window and said, what? And I go, and I kind of shook my head and said, we're done. And he just rolled up his window and just, you know, that was it. He just drove off. It was, that was kind of what we all felt. We did had no idea. Uh, you know, I think Ray knew that we were playing for survival. I didn't. Yeah. That was what a great boss he was. And and Doug the same way. We're going to let Eric and I feel that or definitely didn't try to let the players know that. Like I said, I didn't know. I think it was Landon a few years ago said they felt if they didn't win it, they were going to be contracted. It was going to be Tampa and them. Wow. I, I didn't, you know, I never assumed it was down to who was winning the thing. I thought of, there were other things at play sure, and, and tough decisions that Don had to make at that point. That is wild. It's absolutely wild. Um, I want to wrap up. So I want to let ask you a couple more questions and we'll put a bow on this. But after the fusion, you went, you and Ray both went to D.C., for a short stint. And I know I, I, I got to meet you or at least see you briefly. Uh, you were in Dallas in, in 2004, reuniting with Jeff Kassar um, and, and, and whatnot. And then heading back to the college um, or heading back to, uh, but you were back in the college game for a while, but you didn't go there immediately. If I recall correctly, right. You went from, I'm not sure where you were at after Dallas before Wisconsin. I went to University of Illinois, Chicago. Okay, so it wasn't a game, but it was a different school. Got it. Okay. Um, so what was it like for you, just briefly, um, going to D.C. with Ray and just like, all right, I guess we got we to gotta start all over again after all of the emotions of being contracted and 
and and tell them like the zi- magical season getting contracted all the emotions we just described and then going to dc and let's let's try and revive a, a struggling franchise that is looking for its fourth mls cup championship at that time but it had a few seasons mired in in the basement of mls well it's you know Ray came to me when he got the offer and he said, I want you to come with me. And I'm like, okay. And he said, but I can't, I can't bring Eric. Mm -hmm. And that I know was really tough on Ray because we were, we were a group, right? We were, I was so fortunate to have worked for Jerry Yeager. We won six national championships. The, you know, the John Wooden of college soccer. There were so many similarities to Ray in terms of delegating and, and the closeness, the bonds and the, all of it. And so Eric didn't go. So it's just Ray and I. And we get up there and we've been told and God rest his soul because he's no longer with us. Just like Doug, Kevin Payne, you know, you know, you guys, you, you just need to get that fusion thing going. All the talents here. And we got up there and we're there for about two weeks and I looked at Ray looked at me and I go, this is a bigger rebuild than we, you and I, when we started with the fusion, he goes, I know. And it hit us how massive an undertaking that was going to be. Yeah. Because they, there were some more ingrained superstars and there, there was a, you know, they didn't weren't that far removed. I mean, it was easier for Doug to say, yeah, I'm going to blow some stuff up here. It's not been successful. Thomas had, won a championship, I forget, I think it was what, 2000, 99? 99 was like the last one. yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, that then, I love DC. I was able to get an apartment pretty close to the city. And I loved it. I was like politics anyways. I loved it. Ray opted to move much further away. And if you know anything about DC traffic, I mean, if there was any rain, it could take Ray an hour and a half to get into work. He hadn't lived more than two miles from Lockhart yeah. since he came over in 1976 or whenever. So it, that he was ready for, it, but I mean, he 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 wasn't as happy. You know, his girlfriend was back, and you know, his 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 real life, I think, was always in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, always has been. He loved that city. That city is him, and. You know, I was the opposite. I'm like, hey, new adventure. We're in D.C. Yeah. All right, let's, you know, let's start the magic again. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I we left the place in good, pretty good stead. Yeah. Um, you know, Ernie, Ernie Stewart and Dima would tell me, you know, you guys made some tough calls. But once again, we made a run in the Open Cup in 2003 excuse me, 2002, which set us up to make the playoffs in 2003. And lo and behold, they won it again in 2004. That's right. Um, so that was, uh, you know, and then Ray left the pro game, yep. went into announcing. I went to college. Eric went, you know, he, he didn't even go to D.C. He started with a youth club. And that there you are now, all these years later, we still talk. I actually had the chance to go to Las Vegas with Ray, with another big, uh, uh, huge fan of the fusion, 
a gentleman, Joel Israel, who's a good friend of Ray's as well. And we went to Vegas. My wife had never met Ray. And uh, we're there. We watched a few games together and just, it was so wonderful. And we'll always have that bond. There's no question. Um, you know, that moment in time, it's like a, you know, a short love affair, if you want to say it that way. But we were so together in our belief of soccer, all of us, from Doug to, to Ray to Ike to myself, and then putting it on the field. And I felt we were getting that again at D.C., and and it and we were told, you know, it's time for you guys to go, um, which was tough. That is tough. Um, but that's pro sports, right? It is. So. It is. Well, as we're wrapping up here, I want to ask you one final question, and I want to say, uh, what do you feel the legacy of the Miami Fusion is, and what do you hope new fans of MLS? What do you hope they discover about the fusion as they're starting to fall in love with MLS, perhaps on Apple TV with a huge expansive uh, uh, platform that they got there? So what do you feel the legacy is and what do you hope fans discover when they start poking around and learning about the Miami fusion? You know, we, we get caught up, you know, expected goals and, and you know, I, I said it a little while ago, like the Klaus guy. The, the the volley, the side volley that he hits the other day. Yes, yes. Alex Benedict Chacon could do that in his sleep. Yes. And if you've never played the game at a high level, to do that is so difficult because he didn't have his body turned. It's one thing to have your body turned and smash it into the ground. To get, like Ray said, to get all those measurements right and the timing right to do that. That was the genius of players that we had. It's what Ray always believed in the game and the history of the game. That's the genius of it. And expected goals and analytics like races, take all your fancy toys. It comes down to what you could do with the ball on your feet and, and the joy of that. And that's what makes the game so unique and so beautiful. And it, you know, it doesn't it doesn't come out all the time just watching it on a small apparatus. Go to a game. Yes. If if you can watch videos of fusion and be mesmerized, ask the people that were there. Yeah. Munga Katabi, famous soccer coach from South Florida, still lives down there. He said, I sold someone we were at a game recently. He goes, you know, we're telling jokes in the crowd. He said, You never told a joke at a fusion game. Mm. And I said, Why Munga? He said, because you might miss something that you'll never see again. Oof. And I, I said, Munga, that, that, you're right. It was that way. We would sit on, the, I remember Pete Marino would sit on the bench and I would call a goal. Two passes before. He's like, how'd you know? I'm like, it's, it's like races. It's just obvious. Yeah. It's like watching Messi. You just know. Go. You have to see games live. That's the genius of it all. That's the beauty of it all. Um, you know, just feel so fortunate that I've met all those, all those people. And obviously Ray showed faith to bring me because I wasn't, I wasn't a former pro. I was, I was brought in supposedly to handle the college players that were on the team. Yeah. And Ray always chuckled and said, well, you seem to get along with the guys like Cerna pretty well. And 
that that was that was the joy of it all right yeah it was well thank you so much for sharing your story i appreciate it thanks joe appreciate it 25 for 25 is a detox podcast production music production provided by kcwm on spotify and youtube recording editing post-production and hosting has been completed by me joe shaw If you would like to follow along with this podcast, you can subscribe to it directly wherever you get your podcasts or by subscribing to the Detox Podcast feed. For more information about this and other Detox produced podcasts, be sure to go to detoxpodcast.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast.com. And a special thanks to all those who took the time to share their story with me. If you want to continue to support this podcast, please share it with a friend and rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to it currently. Though Miami fans nowadays are decked in pink, I'll always bleed blue and yellow. Hashtag fusion forever.